All right, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, and you're probably wondering which chapter. And the answer is yes. Uh, the book of Jonah is a very short book in the Old Testament. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a four-part uh, sermon series on it. And today is not going to be, I'll just say, a deep dive. We're just going to be skimming the surface. Uh, so we're going to cover the entire uh, book of Jonah today. And if you've been following along the last couple of weeks, uh, you know that uh, we've been uh, looking at this idea that God has gifted us for ministry. When the sermon series is called Blessed to be a blessing, gifted to share our gifts. And our sermon series began with this idea that everyone is a gift, that you are a gift. You are created in the image of God. And if you are a Jesus follower, uh, God has invited you uh, to, to serve in ministry, to uh, make him known uh, to your neighbors, to your family, uh, at work, uh, and to the nations. And so it's your gift, and then we kind of shifted a little bit to this idea of you've got gifts. You have gifts. Uh, you have practical things that God has given you to serve in ministry to make Jesus known uh, to the world. And so today, uh, we're going to move on to this next idea of you are called. You have gifts. Uh, God has called you uh, to use your gifts. And you might be thinking, okay, I get that I'm a gift. Um, i think I've got some gifts, but calling, that's too much, right? Because we, when we think of calling that kind of churchy word, right, we're like um, missionaries are called, pastors are called, church staff are called, like the professional Christians are called, right? I'm not called. I'm just a Christian. But the truth is, you are called, the Apostle Paul uh, said it this way uh, in 1 Corinthians 7. Let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Paul did not say, let each pastor, let each missionary, let each church, church staff person, not the super spiritual, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him to which he is called. If you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian, you are called to ministry. In his book that we've been reading, uh, Discover Your Gifts, Celebrating How God Made You and Everyone You Know. This is what uh, Pastor Don Ebert writes. He says this, the reformer Martin Luther changed all this. As a reformer, Luther didn't just question the papacy and various unbiblical practices of the medieval church. He also questioned the church's long-standing understanding of vocation, that monastic orders, read into this, the super spiritual, that monastic orders existed on a higher level than every day, that of everyday Christians. Luther's biblical teaching on vocation a word that means literally calling, redefine calling for Christians around the world. And so as Lutheran Christians, we have reclaimed this idea that to be a Jesus follower means that you and I are called. Now, when we think about this idea of calling or to be called, what does it mean? I would say that it is simply God has invited you 
to do holy work. God has invited you to do some really important, even holy work. And that can be in your family. It can be in your day job. Uh, it can be uh, uh, with your neighbors. It can be in the community. And your calling can even be through serving uh, through the ministries in the life of the church. And so when I say that you are called, that we are all called, it's this idea that God's got work to, uh, for us to do and he has invited us. And so this morning we are going to look at the life of Jonah. Uh, this book was written about 500 years before Jesus walked on the earth. And so it's uh, in the Old Testament and in my Bible it's on page 823. Uh, I don't know what page it is for you, but uh, there you go. It's, it's deep in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Jonah. Let us pray. God, as we um, read your word this morning, as we think about who you are and whose we are, and now you uh, have chased us down like you chased Jonah down. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is the story of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And God said to Jonah, Jonah, I've got work for you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go east and proclaim to those people, I've got work for you. And I need you to tell them that they are sinning. And so what Jonah does, instead of going east... He goes west. The story continues that he went down to Joppa, which is a port city. And he got on a ship and he went even further down onto that ship. It was the USS Tarshish. He was supposed to go east. And Jonah says, oh no, I'm going west. And so he gets on the ship to go far, far away from where God had called him. I mean, read into the story. Jonah is being disobedient. And so the USS Tarshish sets sail. And the ship is bobbing around in the ocean, and pretty soon a storm comes up, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And they discover that the reason why things are so bad on the ocean is because Jonah was disobedient. And so he says to them, throw me overboard and the seas of the ocean will calm down. And so Jonah goes even further down, 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 down into the ocean. And then the story tells us that along came a giant fish. The fish swallowed him and he continues to be down, not just, you know, in the neck of this giant fish, but in the belly of this giant fish. And things get lower and lower and lower and things go down, down, down for Jonah. And when you think things can't get any worse, there he is in the belly of this giant fish, and he's praying to God, God, I'm sorry. God, I repent. God, I need you. I want you. I'm asking you to forgive me. And so it's this point in time where Jonah is at the, the very lowest point in his life that the story tells us that God heard Jonah's prayer and sends that fish and spits Jonah up on land. Chapter 3, Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and to proclaim 
the sin of those people there. And so this time, Jonah goes towards Nineveh. He is obedient to God. And so the story continues to tell us that he walks through the city of Nineveh. And for three days, he's walking through the city, preaching this sermon. Repent of your sins. Come back to God. Stop sinning. And then it tells us in the story that God does something with the people of Nineveh. He changes their hearts. He convicts them. And everybody repents in this horrible, sinful city. It says, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Even like the, the mayor of Nineveh, he repents. Everybody repents of their sin. And you would think at this point in time in the story of Jonah, everybody like, this is awesome, this is great. And you would think Jonah would be jumping around, yelling and screaming, saying, God, you are so awesome. But that's not what happens. And so in chapter 4, Jonah looks at God and he starts shaking his fist at God. Jonah is angry. He's mad. He starts having words with God and he's bitter. And he's like a petulant little toddler, angry, sulking. God, I can't believe you saved those people. I can't believe you didn't destroy them in their evil ways. And that's the end of the story of Jonah. Then an interesting story. It's not at all what we think it's going to be all about. Not even close. This story has lots of twists and turns. And make no mistake about it, it is a story of disobedience and obedience and consequences. And there are twists and turns along the way. And twice in the story, God calls to Jonah. He calls out to him. He invites him to deliver a message. And there are two different responses. One, he goes east. The other, he goes west. And so this morning, I just want to take a little bit of time and look at, I'll just throw out three ideas, three lessons of Jonah and God's calling in our lives. So the first thing I want to lift up from the story of Jonah is this. God's calling always comes from a place of love and grace. God's calling always comes from a place of love and grace. Throughout the Old Testament times, from Genesis throughout, over and over and over, prophet after person throughout the Old Testament, God calls to people. He invites them into a relationship with them because he loves them. He wants to rescue them, and he invites them to serve. And this is where we get this idea of blessed to be a blessing. And this is God's desire. It's, it's rooted and grounded in this idea that God wants to love and care for his people because that's who God is. The, the, the scripture tells us that is God's essence. He is a God of love and rescue and filled with grace. And the reason I bring this up is because I hear this misunderstanding in Scripture uh, over and over. And maybe you've thought this as well. Sometimes when we think of God of the Old Testament as the, as the God of wrath and judgment, and God of the New Testament as the God of love and forgiveness. You ever heard that before? I hear this all the time. And, and, and maybe you even thought this before. And I think it's really important to lift up from the story of Jonah this morning that this is a story 
of not only wrath and judgment, but it is also a story of love and rescue and forgiveness. And as we look carefully at each story, as you read the Old Testament, you will see wrath and judgment for sure. But you will always see the love and grace of God in the Old Testament. We can never forget that. God is consistent. He doesn't change. He's not just this angry, grumpy old man in the Old Testament and this loving, kind, forgiving, uh, nice guy in the New Testament. That is not who God is. And so I want to just lift that up this morning, that this is who God is. He is loving in, in his love, and his calling to us is always rooted in love and forgiveness. God doesn't need our help. When he calls to us, he doesn't need our help to do whatever it is. This is what uh, Paul writes uh, to his protege in 1 Timothy. This is good uh, and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What Paul is saying is God loves all people. All people, not just some people. And he wants every single person to come to this place of rescue and experience a relationship with him. And God doesn't need us to do this for, for him. But he loves us. And he wants this desire, he desires this relationship with us to be co-workers in the work that he has called us to do, that he has invited us to do in this world. About 20 years ago, um, Cindy and I bought our first house in Hopkins, Minnesota. And uh, it was a smallish house. It was, I'll just say, cozy. Uh, it had a cozy little yard. And uh, right after we moved into this house, we had uh, a couple little kids. I said to our five-year-old son, Logan, hey, now that we've got this house, you want to build a picnic table with me? He's like, dad, that would be awesome. So we went out and got the lumber and we got the hardware and we got the paint and, and we spent, you know, this day out there uh, working on this picnic table. And I got to tell you, as we're working on this picnic table, I'm thinking to myself, this is taking about three times as long as it needs to. Logan, this is not hide and seek. We are building a picnic table. You know, he's running around, you know, having a great time. I'm working on this picnic table, and every now and then we, we get a little bit productive uh, with working on the picnic table, and after, after a couple hours, we walk in the house, and Cindy says to us, what have you guys been doing? And Logan says, we just built a picnic table. And I'm like, who is we? I built the picnic table. And you were running around driving me crazy. But I like that imagery. I like that metaphor, that understanding of this is how God works with us. He doesn't need us to do his work. But he loves us as his sons and daughters. He wants to be in relationship with us. And so he invites us to be a part of his work in the world. And so this is the idea that God's calling always comes from this place of love and grace. The second thing I want to lift up this morning, I think, from the, the, the book of Jonah, is God's calling is often met with human excuses. God's calling is often met with human excuses, and I might even just add lame excuses. And we read about these lame excuses over and over and over throughout Scripture, Abraham was too old. Oh, God, I, I can't do that. I'm too old. 
We read about Moses when God came and called Moses. God, I'm not a very good public speaker. Find someone else. We read the story about David. Oh, he's just a kid. He's too young. He can't do it. So the excuse after excuse. And we could go through every biblical character and it's just filled with excuses. Jonah, he tells us what his excuse is. The reason why he was disobedient to God. The reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh as God had called him to. It says in Jonah 4, verses 1, But Jonah, uh, after God rescued everyone, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, the reason I didn't want to go, the reason why I ran away is because I knew who you are, God. I know that you are a God who is loving and compassionate. And I knew when those people, those evil people would repent of their sins, that you would actually forgive them. Oh, it makes me so angry, God, that you would forgive those people. They don't deserve it. My behavior is better than them. I'm better than them. I'm, I'm more righteous. I'm more moral than they are. And all they had to do was repent and you forgave them. God, that makes me so angry. That's why I ran away. I got to tell you, I relate to Jonah. I get it. This is my excuse as well, why I don't want to go to the places that God is calling me to go. This is one of the reasons why I say, God, please, no. Have me go somewhere else. I don't like their behavior. I don't like their attitude. I don't like their lifestyle. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like them. Anybody else relate to me? I mean, this is my excuse. I, I, I get Jonah. I totally get him. I understand why he's disobedient. This is my excuse. And, you know, as a pastor, when I talk to other people in the life of the church, I hear a lot of excuses, a lot of lame excuses why people are disobedient in the life of, of the church, in the life of their calling in the world. And I thought just for fun this morning, I would share with you some of those excuses that I hear. I mean, the excuse I hear most often is I'm too busy, right? We hear that. And I would just say, doing what? right? Pleasure, relaxation, run around, doing all sorts of stuff. I always want to ask the question, busy doing what? What are you doing? Second excuse uh, I hear uh, in the life of the church is, why me? Why would God ask me to do that? I mean, look at all the problems in the world. Something happens why me? Why, why would I do that? And then God would look at us and say, I was just going to ask you that same question. Why not you? I think we often look to God as if God's supposed to rescue us or rescue the situation. And I think many, many times God is actually inviting us to be the solution to whatever the problem is. So I hear this question of why me? 
Sometimes I'll also hear, uh, you know, the, the excuse, well, I'm not sure if God has spoken to me clearly about that. Not really sure. So let me be really clear with you. God has spoken to you. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourselves. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. When you see someone in need, widows and orphans, care for them. Make disciples of all nations. Clear? This is God's calling for our life. I think if we're not sure about what God's calling is for you, he's given it to us very clearly in his word. Another excuse I hear is what if they don't believe me? What if I tell people about Jesus and they don't believe me? To which I would say, now you know exactly how Jesus felt. I mean, think about it. Jesus healed people. He fed people. He walked on water. He raised a guy from the dead and he spent lots and lots of time with people. He showed them all sorts of miraculous things. And he cared for them and he loved people. And the response that Jesus got oftentimes was, we think he's demon-possessed. We think he's from the enemy, from the devil himself. If people don't believe you, welcome to the club of what it means to be a Jesus follower. It's never about results in terms of what we're trying to be about as we live into our calling. Several of us here at Faith Lutheran Church have attended some training called Relational Discipleship. It's a network of about a hundred, couple hundred churches uh, across the United States. We get together and we learn about what it means to be followers of Jesus and how God has called us to live in this relationship with one another as we really look to God. It's this idea of how did Jesus do discipleship with his people? And so it's this really wonderful focus on relationships. And one of the key ideas of relational discipleship is that I have my part to play, you have your part to play, and God has God's part to play. And we shouldn't get those roles all mixed up. Because oftentimes, I got to tell you, sometimes I want to play God in a relationship with someone else. Other times, I want to play your role in the relationship. And what relational discipleship says is I just got to be faithful to what God has called me to be about and let you be responsible for your response and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And when I think we live into this and lean into this idea of my part, your part, and God's part, it's wonderfully freeing. Then we don't start worrying about what all the results are supposed to be. I love this, uh, you, you know, this idea of how God has called you and me and we are just meant to be obedient and do what God has called us to do and just leave the results to him. And the, the, the image that comes to me is I'm just the postman. I work for USPS, right? I just deliver the mail. I don't create it. I don't read it. I just deliver it. 
And I think that's all of our role. This is certainly what God called Jonah to be about. Wasn't Jonah's message, wasn't Jonah's responsibility to get the message out. Number three, God's calling is never about us. It's never about us. We look at the story of Jonah, and Jonah, I think, is so angry because he made this all about himself. I mean, he goes into Nineveh, and he preaches this eight-word sermon, and I would call it like the worst sermon ever delivered. The worst sermon ever. Hey, guys, repent, or God's going to burn up your city. I mean, that's essentially the whole sermon. Amen. I mean, what if I were to come in here on a Sunday morning and deliver that eight-word uh, eight sermon to you all? Turn from your sin or God is going to roast you into a crispy fried chicken, right? I mean, you'd be like, hello. I mean, there's no Jesus loves you. There's no God wants the best for you. It's just turn from your sin or God is going to roast you. And what are the results? Not just 5% of the people all of a sudden get convicted, not even 50% or even 90%. 100% of the people who heard this message repented, which tells us this was not a message uh, about Jonah. This was about God doing what only God can do. Think about Billy Graham, how many sermons he preached I bet you he never had a 100% response rate. Jonah did with the worst sermon ever. You know who preached uh, that, that week uh, at, at Asbury uh, College in Kentucky? It was the soccer coach. And he, it, by his own words, he said, you know, I went home, I talked to my wife. He said, I totally whiffed that sermon in chapel that day. And all the people who were there say, yeah, there was nothing spectacular about the soccer coach's sermon. But God showed up on that day and brought about revival to the students at Asbury University. Calling is never about you and it's never about me. It's never about our success or any of the things that we can do. I think about the, the, the parable that Jesus told, the parable of, of the talents. At the very end, he looks at the guy who, who, who did, all, did all those wonderful things with his five talents. Jesus looks, uh, the, the, the God looks at this guy and says, well done, good and fruitful servant. It's not what he said, is it? Well done, good and faithful servant servant. When God calls you, when God calls us to do what God wants to do, it's never about the fruit. It's never about the, the results that we might accomplish. Because if I preach a great sermon to you guys, then it's all about me. But if I preach a mediocre sermon and somehow between my words and your ears, the Holy Spirit does something in your life, that gives honor and glory to God. So I think the story of Jonah is a wonderful reminder that God's calling on our lives is never about us. It's always about pointing people to him and to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this crazy story 
This story, God, of your love and faithfulness, of chasing down Jonah, of chasing down these people, the ways, God, in which you practice love and forgiveness, most certainly to the people who didn't deserve it. We thank you, God, that even in the midst of the excuses that Jonah was lifting up to you about why he didn't want to go and why he didn't go, you didn't give up on him. Yet, God, you brought him to his knees and invited him to begin again, to serve again. And that's who you are, God, is you are a God of second chances. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship you today, remind us, teach us that you have a second chance for us and you have second chance for those around us. And God, help us to never, ever forget the calling you've placed on each one of our lives. It's not about us. It's not about our gifts. It's not about our talents. It's not about what we can do. But it is truly, God, about what you can do. And God, you love us, and so you invite us as co-laborers to make you known to the nations and to our own families. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.